I'm Drew Holmes. When I started learning to make music, I thought that the only way to have a career in the industry was as a performer. I could not have been more wrong. In more than 25 years in the music business, I've done many non-performing jobs from orchestra librarian to music store owner. But my experience is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm on a mission to explore the exciting and necessary jobs that make performances possible. Come with me as we go beyond the stage. Do you know who else said every time you call on someone, you bring something with you, you know, conversation piece, something of value? Harold Stone. Oh my gosh, I love Harold. Harold, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure in the amount of time that Harold has been on this earth that there are very few things that Harold hasn't had a chance yeah. to say. But, um, but yeah, I mean, gentlemen like that, even in the industry, um, when you get a chance to talk with folks, I mean, Harold's been, what, 60 years in the industry or Easily. something like that. Yeah. Um, but every time... Every minute I get a chance to just chat with them, I just shut up and listen. Oh, yeah. And for people who know me, that's quite a feat. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's just to absorb that, you know, the, the history. And that's the thing. No matter what job you're in, learn the history. You know, learn the history of the manufacturing side of the business. Learn the history of, of even the retail side of the business, you know, because you don't have a wall of, of accordions anymore. Yeah. Um, accordions, banjos, and kazoos, and jaw harps. It, it's it's a completely different thing. But you know, learn from those folks who were selling nine dollar banjos, you know, and and hundred dollar accordions and everything. Um, you know, because the more and more you know about the history, the more and more you can talk about how and, and you know, not to sound rosy, but how wonderful the current situation is. Yeah, we came through in a year and a half of really nasty stuff. Um, but I can't imagine having gone through this 50 years ago yeah, and trying to make a living and trying to feed a family and so on. Um, so the way the industry has grown, because it's a give and take relationship between, it's, it's a square, it's between performers, educators, manufacturers, and sellers. Mm -hmm. um, just that, that strong square, you know, some people say, well, triangle, pyramid, <laughs> or whatever, you know, but... Um, and it's just been that kind of that partnership over centuries, over decades, um, that it's just, you know, we all know that we can rely, not that we have to, that we can rely on each other. And that's by listening to each other. And that's how dealers get better. That's how performers get better. That's how teachers get better. And that's how manufacturers are encouraged to make better quality, better playing instruments. Because um, then everybody supports each other. Well, in, in talking about Harold, a uh, previous episode I did with Cindy, the founder of Boomer Music, yeah. and Harold was instrumental in making that happen. Uh, so he, he's got his fingers in, in everything, but uh, I'll relate an anecdote. I don't know if I ever told you this one. We were uh, we had a display at the uh, Mendez Institute down at uh, University of Denver, mm -hmm. and Harold was setting up his table, and of course I was helping him do that and just listen and all that. And from across the room, someone says, Harold, haven't seen you in years. And this gentleman comes over, and he's catching up with pleasantries and all that kind of stuff, shaking his hand. And be like, oh, good to see you. You know, we'll, we'll have lunch. And, and he walks away. And Harold walks up and he says, who was that? <laughs> and I'm my jaw practically hit the floor because I said to him, that was Ron Rom, one of the founding members of the Canadian Brass and one of my initial trumpet heroes when I first picked up the horn. And so I'm thinking, who are you that not only does Ron Rom know you, mm -hmm. 
but you you don't remember him. I mean, he's such an important and relevant, you know, uh, brass player, performer, person, personality, whatever. And it was just one of those eye-opening moments that, you know, I had underestimated Harold up until that point. And, but talking about the relationship, you know what he did at lunch that day? Because it was kind of like cafeteria style and all that. He sat me next to Ron Rum so I could, you know, talk and, and get to hang out with him. Exactly. And just the, the, the air of professionalism that Harold projected. Did did Rom have any idea that Harold didn't know who he was? No, not one. Absolutely but. not, because a, a professional, consummate, someone who really works hard at their job knows how important every single person is they talk to. Yeah. And, and in Harold's defense, it probably could have been, you know, 15, 20, 30 years since the last time you'd seen him. Oh, it's for an, sure. It's yeah. entirely possible. Yeah. And a lot happens in that time, but it was it was a truly you know, fun and special moment, mm-hmm. and I was really glad to get to, to be a, a small part of it. Well, he was probably outside the hospital when Ron's mom came out with him. As a... <laughs> <laughs> we, Sorry, Harold. <laughs> no, we, we love Harold. I mean, he's he is one of those forces that binds everything together. So oh, it's... I've, I've asked him a hundred times if he would just sit down and write a book. Yeah. You know, um, it would be uh, it would be volume of encyclopedias. Oh, easily. But um, but again, learning the history. Yeah. And you know, someone who has come through the industry this long, there's a reason why somebody stays in this industry that long. Yeah. And it's not because it's a job. It's because of the people you meet, the people you get to help, the relationships you develop. Um, and you know, you're and it's an overused term, but you become like a problem solver. Oh, sure. You know, so if people call you and going back to what I said earlier, you know, the phone rings at 730 at night and I see it's a teacher or, or, or one of my, you know, the dealers that I work with, uh, they're calling me at 730 at night for a reason. It's because they want to ask me a question and they value my opinion or they know that I'm probably the only person they can call who will, can get the answer for them. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've been uh, talking about all the rosy stuff. Mm. What's the least favorite part of your job? And feel free to dodge this question as uh, deftly as I know you can. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it, the, my least favorite part of the job is the reports. Yeah, you know, it's spreadsheets. Um, uh, you know, uh, reports on hey, call call seven of your top dealers and ask them how their Black Friday was. You know, that kind of stuff. I remember that report. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And and I try to spread it out between other dealers so I don't hit you every year, but. Um, but the, the main thing is is always to keep in focus is and hopefully this is the case no matter where you work is, you know, as much as I don't like the reports, somebody's asking my opinion for a reason. And they're asking my opinion because they're hoping to guide the direction they're gonna go in their position with the company mm-hmm. based on the feedback they're they're receiving from me and other people in the field. Um so it's like, yeah, that's the the least Airport food, too. Airport food is right in there with the least favorite stuff. Depends on the airport. They're getting better. They're getting better, absolutely, yeah. Although, considering your territory, my absolute favorite airport food um, is, where, where am I connecting? Uh, Charlotte. There's a, uh, a barbecue stand that's in between the terminals out by the big rocking chairs, but you don't ever get to go out there. There you go. Uh, exactly. You have to go out of security and go back in. Yeah, but, uh, but Every I, time going through there, I make a point to stop. doesn't matter if it's breakfast, dinner, yep. whatever. I always get something from them. But um, yeah, the, the report thing, and I think probably even for you in the business side of you know as, as, a, as a retailer, but at the, it never fails that at the end of doing that tedious task, I even end up with kind of like a aha moment too. 
Sure. You know, because, and, and when somebody forces you to have conversations that you wouldn't normally have, you can't help but learn something and kind of get an idea of what it is they're looking for. Um, but I can't really say there's a lot about the job I don't like. Um, I mean, because as we discussed earlier, I kind of set my, my schedule, I set my boundaries. Um, but, you know, I just I get to sit down and talk to people. And I get to live vicariously through other educators without actually having to get on the podium every day. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's great, but, you know, every job has its, its negatives. And if for, me, if, if for me, it's just doing reports or paperwork then I'm, I'm enjoying my job pretty well. What do you wish you knew uh, when you started? Because obviously, you know, uh, 15 years in now, uh, you've, you've got a good handle on what you do, but what mm-hmm. didn't you know that would have been really useful? You know, and this is going to sound silly, but it really has to do with my ability to do my job and enjoy my job. I wish I had known when I moved from Pennsylvania out to Colorado and, and took over the western area, at the time, just how little cell phone coverage there was in the territory. Um, it, it, you know, to be able to go an entire day without having any contact with anyone. Because back, you know, 15 years ago, I could drive from, from Denver to Utah and maybe have 15 or 20 minutes of cell time mm-hmm. the entire day. So feeling that, because I always, at the end of the day, I always want to feel as though I've accomplished something. So having one of those days where it felt like I didn't actually accomplish anything except from getting from point A to point B. Oh, those are brutal. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think that's the main thing, I guess, is, is, being, is, is accessibility. You know, I wish I had known how accessible I needed to be, not just for um, communicating with the company, but communicating with educators and dealers. Well, and you'll laugh, you know, talking about knowing your history. My father was a road salesman, and uh, he worked for ribbon companies selling ribbon. Mm-hmm. And as an aside, I always asked him if he was involved in organized crime because I couldn't see how he could support a family selling ribbon. <laughs> for sure, yeah. But New England was his territory. So all the way up from, you know, basically middle of Connecticut up to Fort Kent, Maine, those were his customers. And that was in the days before cell phones. And he actually had one that was installed in the car uh, Mm -hmm. when that was a new thing. Uh, But his world was highway rest stops that had banks of payphones. Exactly. And that was, he'd call home to check on the messages because of course we had the the message machine and then call up uh, customers and all that. And instead of, you know, I send emails out to all of my customers customers before I go out and visit them now, he used to send out postcards. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And yeah. You had them pre-printed and all that. So it things, it's the same thing, just different technology and it just moves so much faster. But yeah, what were you saying about the phones? I always remember how he would have to stop and check messages and, and find a payphone and just mm-hmm. figure out some way to communicate with the outside world. And the other thing that I, I wish I had known too was, and again, this is kind of, sounds, kind of, sounds kind of silly, but you'll relate to this having been from the Northeast as well. Just how fast I talk. Right? <laughs> I didn't realize that till I moved further west. And, you know, people were like, why do you talk so fast? So kind of going back and just learning to relax a little bit and, and, and adjust to your atmosphere, um, to the environment you're in. But um, no, those were the two things. I mean, the, the rest of the stuff, I was really fortunate because I had a really wonderful district manager from Yamaha when I worked in retail. Um, his name was Ed Boyer. Uh, he's, he is since passed away. Um, but Ed would let me pick his brain about everything about the job um, and about the industry and about what he's been through. And he was completely great 
about. Um, there was nothing he wouldn't share. He would tell me the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. You know, for, and for him, the bad was similar to me. He wanted to make sure he was home with his kids when he said he was going to be home with his kids. Sort right. of thing. Um, so it's that work-life balance that we hear a lot about. What is the biggest misconception about what you do? Well, it depends on if you if you talk to people outside the industry or the people in the home office. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want you to get in trouble. Don't talk about the home office. They're, uh, they're I, great people. I Every think the biggest misconception is that I'm a salesman. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, I like to refer to myself as a as a as a brand representative mm-hmm. or a product representative. Um, yeah, there's some selling. You know that 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 of course that's how we make our living. Yes. I'm a relationship builder. I think the misconception was, and and granted, and and people are going to hate hearing this, and if some of my competitors are listening to this, um, they're going to think, aha, product knowledge is not that big a deal. No, knowing the size of the millimeters of the screw that holds the spring onto the spit valve, well, I think a lot of people get so so drilled in on specs yeah, um, that that's what the internet's for. All right, if you've got a customer out there who wants to learn about specs, everything you want to know about specs is on the internet. Um, I, I don't need to know that. I need to know what makes it work, why it's a great product for their needs, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah, I call that the three W's. What is it? Why is it cool? And why do I need one? Exactly. That's exactly right. But I mean, product knowledge is definitely, I, I don't want to take anything away from it because, you know, having a great in-depth knowledge on how your individual product is made and why that differentiates you from your competitors, very big thing. Oh yeah, that's crucial. Absolutely. Um, but knowing all of the secret sauce um, isn't really, it, it takes away from the conversation. Um, if, if, a, if someone is asking you now, granted, if I'm talking to one of your guys in the shop and they're asking me those questions, I will find that information. Yes. Well, that, that's crucial information. Absolutely. At that point. But if it's a customer who's asking that kind of stuff, it's someone who pretty much already knows the answer and they just want to know if you know the answer. They're looking for validation. Ex- there you go. Um, because they read it somewhere or somebody somewhere told them about it. But I think the main thing is, is you said your three W's. Um, and when it gets down to individual specs and things like that, with today's modern technology, it's at my fingertips. Yes. Um, and after 15 years, I have kind of a, um, a base of knowledge that I've heard so many questions but here are the top 100 questions I get very often. Mm-hmm. That's about how deep I go. Oh, yeah. Well, there's only so much room up yeah. there, you know? I mean, I'm here. I, I want to talk to you about you. I don't want to talk to you about screws, springs, and corks. Unless that's deeply meaningful to you. Yeah, exactly. And if that's <laughs> what you want, I'll put you in touch with one of our guys who will talk to you for hours about that because that's what they do for a living yes they do well and that's a great point um when i was again back to orchestra library stuff when you're auditioning uh or applying for a job as an orchestra librarian typically at least when i was doing it they would give you a written test to kind of suss out your knowledge base and all that okay yeah and um in the time i was doing that i kind of was reshaping it for the places i work for saying what people know is fine but i think knowing where to find the answer is way more important Mm-hmm. And so uh, a couple of the tests started as, after I left that side of the business uh, saying, you know, here's the question, give me your answer or 
what you would do to find the answer. Because it would be questions like, what are the keys of all the Beethoven symphonies? Who cares? Exactly. I mean, yes, it's important if you're going to be a Stephen Ledbetter program note writer to have that information, but you've also got, yep. yeah, you've got the book on the shelf. Mm-hmm. And and it's I love I love to use car analogies a lot. Um, you'll have a different conversation with the guy at the car dealership on the sales floor than you'll have with the guy, the mechanic in the back who works on the cars. Yep. And I like to look at myself as I'm the guy on the sales floor. Going back to what you said. Here's a product we have. Here's how it'll make you feel. Here's how it will it will fulfill what you're looking for. Now, if you want to know other things, I'll take you back. You can talk to my guys in the garage because they're the experts. Right. Um, I, I never want to be known as the expert um, because as soon as you're the expert, there's always somebody who wants to trip you up. <laughs> so what is the uh, biggest disaster you've had on the job? You can name names or not name names all you want, but the, everyone always has a horror story. I'm curious uh, of one from your side of the business. Oh, and from the look on your face, you, you've got one. Oh, well, no, there's like six or seven of them. Um, all right, pick one. Which, which seem to be equally as, as disastrous. <laughs> I think the, the, the most disastrous uh, thing I had, and again, if this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me, happened to me not a big deal. Um, I was going to uh, a major university um, to, to visit with and I won't name the university, um, <laughs> to visit with their director of bands, their director of athletic bands, their department chair, and the provost of the university because um, they were looking to make a major purchase. Sure. And it was between myself, it was narrowed down between myself and one of my competitors. Actually, I don't say competitors, I just say another company that claims to make <laughs> musical instruments. Um, you can it, take the boy out of the East, but you can't take the East out of the boy. There you go. And they wanted to see one of our custom marching snare drums. So I had the guys at our office were great. They sent it in. It was exactly the color scheme that the university was looking for. I had the chrome hardware. I had everything polished up and everything. Um, so I thought to make a big splash, which I did, um, I would take it out of the case And when I was going up to the stairs and walked into the meeting room rather than walk in and take it out of the case. I wanted that right. to be the first thing they saw when I walked through the door. Um, so literally, I was going up this really tall marble staircase to the meeting room at the top of the stairs. And my phone rang. It was in my pocket. And I'm like, oh, I need to silence my phone. Well, just out of habit or out of instinct, I reach around to get my, my phone, attempting to hold the drum with one hand. <laughs> that, that Mind you, I had just finished polishing, so it was slightly slippery. It slipped out of my hands. And it hit every step going down that marble staircase in this big, booming, (laughs) echoing entryway. And literally, at the end, bounced into a small fountain at the the bottom of the stairway. And of course, all the people who were waiting for me in that room at the top of the stairs came out to see what the ruckus was. And I'm standing there, and literally in the middle of a staircase, doing one of those cartoon moments where you're looking at them. You're looking down at this drum. You're looking at them. You're looking down at this drum. Um, so I used it as the opportunity to pick the drum up and take it upstairs and say, okay, now let me talk to you about Yamaha durability. <laughs> and it just, but it was, it was the most embarrassing thing. We ended up getting the deal, but it was embarrassing and could have been a disaster. How did the drum sound on the way down? 
I couldn't tell. It was so <laughs> loud. It was it was wood and chrome against marble. <laughs> it was absolutely horrible. Let's take a quick time out to hear from our sponsors. Beyond the Stage is proudly sponsored by Boomer Music Company, Northern Colorado's band and orchestra experts since 1976. If you need instrument rentals, repairs, sheet music, or accessories, Boomer Music has you covered. Come to our Fort Collins showroom or visit us online at www.boomermusiccompany.com. Thepodcastingstore.com is your one-stop shop for all things podcasting and remote learning and a proud sponsor of Beyond the Stage. Whether you're a novice remote teacher or a veteran podcaster, we have the gear and the knowledge to take your content to the next level to better engage your audience. Check us out at www.thepodcastingstore.com and see what solutions we have for you. Now, let's continue our journey beyond the stage. All right, so first day on the job. Mm-hmm. What's going through your head? Tell me about it. You, you finally, after seven years of waiting, got this opportunity. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, the first thing that went through my head is why am I sitting in front of a computer? You know, honest to goodness, why do I have to learn how to do all this stuff on a computer? You hired me to sell musical instruments. That was the very first thing. Um, but, you know, being able to, to, to have the proper ways to communicate, the proper ways to look up inventory and so on. The first two days were pretty much just learning systems. Yeah. And I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Um, but after the third or fourth day and we got out and we actually started doing our thing. And, and actually, I started in the summer. I was hired in July. And I came out to Denver, um, and we were Yamaha was sponsoring a Sounds of Summer percussion camp. Uh-huh. So the third day I was out here was the first day of the camp. So after I spent two days staring at a computer, I actually had a chance to go out and you know really do it. Um, and it's neat because the people I met at that camp are friends of mine today. You know, my third day on the job. Um, you know, local instructors, uh, artists, educators. Um, it was, it was a great third day, but no, that, that was the absolute, that was the worst impression. I remember <laughs> calling my wife and saying, I, I don't know if I can do this job and yeah. it, because I hate it. I don't like computers. <laughs> <laughs> what has surprised you the most about what you do? The fact that it's, it can be so different every day. Yeah. You know, you think about, yeah. you know, 15 years of doing it, you what, 12 years, 13, 13 years mm-hmm. doing it. Um, you, you know, the whole, I think I've seen it all or the, you know, they can't surprise me with one more thing or, you know, for me, it's, it's, I find one more thing that, man, you know, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's the, the main thing that, that surprises me the most is just, you know, and that's what drives you to get up in the morning. You know, a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you know, it's the old, uh, time to make the donuts yep. commercial sort of thing. Uh, I, I don't have that. I don't have that at all. Um, because it's always something to look forward to. That's such a surprise. Well, and that brings up a couple things in my mind. Um, the first one is whenever we hire someone new at the store, I always warn them. I say, it's going to take you about three months until you're useful and about a year before you're comfortable. Yeah. And they never believe me. And then after a year, I ask them, so was I right? And they say, yes, you were. Because there's just so much little you know, nitpicky details. I mean, yeah, yeah, product knowledge, all that. But just there's 
we're annually cyclical because it's education based. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. And it takes a year before you see everything. And I encountered that when I was working at the music store on Long Island. It was the same thing. It was a couple months before I felt like I could actually do something you know, real on my own. And as an aside, I believe I was hired August fifteenth. Okay, I was July tenth. Yeah. Yeah. How awful is it to be hired at a school music store in the middle of August? Well, actually, that was uh, to go back. That was my. I was hired. August 8th, when I became a road rep for, yeah. for the retailer. Um, so rental season, back to school season, especially back east, you know, yeah. everybody starts like like the week just before uh, Labor Day. Right. Is that Memorial Day? Labor, Labor Day, Day, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, you're, you're in there, it's two weeks, and there's lines of people in your face, you know? And oh, yeah. Just, yeah. It, it's trial by fire. And uh, so I, I try not to do that uh, when hiring new people, bring them on in August, because that is just one of the most unfair things you can do to someone that isn't already experienced. Exactly. Yeah. Unless they're a temp and you want to send them out on rental well, meetings yeah. <laughs> and see if they'll come back. <laughs> but the other thing that occurred to me, too, talking about things being the same, uh, when I was first interning in Philadelphia, I um, needed a job because you, know, you got to support yourself mm-hmm. and uh, took a job as a telemarketer. Oh, boy. So I, I learned something very crucial in my week at that job, which is if it's the choice between telemarketing or dying face down in the gutter, I will cheerfully choose the gutter. Absolutely. Well, you know, I had a brief stint selling insurance. Um, but one thing that I learned, very brief, a little longer than a week, but very brief. <laughs> um, but one thing I learned from uh, the, the gentleman who was mentoring me at the time, and I still use that today. You is and at the time it sounded to he said and that was back when you did a lot of cold calling yeah you know um, he said eight out of ten people are gonna just tell you no or tell you you don't have the time of day or just basically hang up on you he said celebrate those he said every time somebody hangs up on you you're one call closer to those two people who are gonna give you their time yeah so never don't let the negatives the no's, the bads, and stuff like that get you down because that's just one step closer. Okay, well, I've got one of my no's out of the way. Seven more to go, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, to, So kind of turning that into a positive sort of trip. Yeah. Well, what do you call someone that hits a baseball one out of three times? A Hall of Famer. Exactly, yeah. Ex- you're absolutely right. So getting into this side of the field, or mm-hmm. the side of the industry, rather, what advice would you offer to someone that might be uh, interested in it, looking into it? Yeah, how can you prepare yourself for success? Well, I can tell you, even in the fifth, in the fifteen years I've been doing it, uh, my my number one recommendation, and when I'm talking to um, college students as well, and if I can talk to someone who's younger before they get into college, um, take a business course, take a, a marketing course, and take a public speaking course. Did you do any of those? Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, you know, when when you're like the freshman, sophomore year, where you have to take... Yeah, your gen ed requirements, yeah. yeah. Make one of those, or all three of those, part of your gen eds, if if they're able to fall into it. Because, again, marketing yourself goes back to us talking about brand. Yes. Um, You know, take those classes, because this has become... For love or not, and even when you talk to a lot of performing artists, it's a business. Um, so knowing the business side of it as you're coming into it um, is going to give you a big leg up. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to go get a business degree or anything like that. But um, a lot of colleges have like business philosophy 101 
um, and things like that. Oh. Um, uh, there are universities out there now that offer um, car- uh, a music industry degree. Yes. Um, you know, so if you think this is something you want to do, college is a great time to experiment with it. Um, you know, take a couple of courses, take a couple of music industry courses, um, work in the summertime, talk to a, a dealer, especially Drew at, <laughs> at Boomer Music, um, get a job in a shop cleaning out cases if they're paying a couple of bucks an hour, you know, for rental returns and things. Um, l- learn about it from the retail side, because that those are the people you really have to relate to. And most of your conversations you're going to have are about how can I help you do what you do better? Yes. And the best way to, to be able to have those conversations to have some sort of experience on the business side of the business. Yeah. How can you solve a problem if you don't know what the problem is? Exactly. Exactly. So that, that's, that's my main advice um, is just take something that's just that you think you would need if I was sitting in your chair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, you've been successful what you do. Thank you. Yeah. What skills do you possess or have developed that has allowed that to happen? Actually, I'll take a little aside here. One of the hardest things I ever had to do was about four years ago, my son was in middle school. Yeah. I went in for career day and had to explain what I do for a living. Right? <laughs> um, but, and that, that question kind of made me think too. Sure. And it's not so much a skill, although I think it is learnable, is my, I, I've been blessed with an ability to be able to read people mm-hmm. and read the room, um, read body language, um, you know, just, and, and I wouldn't say so much to be an empath, but to be able to be empathetic with the, in the conversations that I'm having and being able to adjust accordingly to every single conversation. Because every conversation you have, even if you, even if you and I have fifteen conversations, each one of those conversations is going to be different based on the day you're having, yep. the day I'm having, what you, what happened to you the night before, you know. Um, so I think for me, my skill is just being able to just just read people and let people know and keep them at ease and have an easy conversation. And just let people know we're just having a conversation here. Don't you don't need to feel guarded right. around me because I'm not going to sucker punch you with the sale price midway through the conversation, sort of. Thing. Oh yeah, 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 exactly. Well, getting more into the philosophical portion here, mm-hmm. um, you know, inspiration. What inspires you? Actually, just being able to walk away from a conversation or a meeting or something, feeling like I did something to help somebody. Yeah, even if it was somebody calling me up to say, Wes, do you have this in stock? The fact that I was able to take the call, look it up, give them the answer, because they were calling me for a reason. But no, it's, it's at the end of the day, did I do something to help somebody? Yeah. And that's it. What is the most important thing you've learned in life? And what were things like before and what have things been like after? I, I like this one a lot because, yeah. you know, yeah, like I said, we're, we're in the philosophical portion of the discussion yeah. here. I, I think the main thing for me is, is I have this tendency to think I'm always right. <laughs> um, and I, I used to be, and I even, you know, I reel myself in now, even now and then I'm, I'm very opinionated mm-hmm. and being in an art based industry is not a good place to be an opinionated person <laughs> because a lot of us, a lot of arts-based people are already have their own opinions, biases, and so on. 
Um, and that's what makes them great. That's what makes them creative. That's what makes them wonderful performers. Um, it's to be able to sit back and allow other opinions to make sense to me. Yeah. You know, rather than just dismiss something somebody's saying or something somebody thinks because it's not the way I think. Um, that was me. That that was that was me. <laughs> and and I still I still I still struggle with that now and then. But um, that yeah, that's the the main thing that I've really found is is to be more of a listener. And if you talk, if you and you know me, and if you know anybody who knows me, that's not a strength. No. Um, and not just to listen to hear what you're saying, but to listen to understand what you're saying. Right. And know that, well, you feel that way because you feel that way. Not because you're trying to tick me off. It's just, that's, that's how you feel. So what can I do to help you? And then my favorite question, I, I love this one. What is the best compliment you've ever received? The best compliment I ever received, and this goes back earlier when I was talking to um, Ed Boyer, who, uh-huh. was, who was my Yamaha rep. Um, this will be a long answer to a short question, that's, but... That's great. Um, for a while after I had lived in Pennsylvania and worked with Ed when I was working with that retailer, my wife and I had relocated to California for a while um, with her job. Um, and then we moved back to Pennsylvania because if you've ever lived in California, you know you want to live anywhere else but <laughs> California. Sorry, Californians. That, that's uh, your opinion, man. That is my opinion, yes. And going back to what I just said. Um, but anyway, we moved back, and I was fortunate enough to, to get rehired by the same retailer that mm-hmm. I worked with. We were at the Pennsylvania Music Educators Association convention, and we had our display up. And Ed came over and was talking to me. And, and he was like, great to see you. It's nice to have you back. I hope everything's good for you. Um, and it was that, a couple of days after that is when I found out the position was available with Yamaha. So I applied for the position. And I don't know if this is a compliment, but it just, it, it was a feel-good moment, and it kind of spoke to the quality of him. Um, I sent in my, my resume and all this other stuff. And about three days after that, I got a phone call from Ed. He said, Wes, I owe you an apology. I said, What's that? He said, when I was talking to you at the conference, I knew that position was available, and I really thought you would be great for that position. But I thought that you and your wife had moved back to Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania is where you wanted to be. And I know that this job is in, you'd have to move out west. I said, no, no, I'm interested. He's like, well, I, I, I have to apologize. I think you would be wonderful for this job, and I'll be happy to be a reference for you. So for me, someone that I that that felt so such high regard for in a company that I held such high regard for, to pick up the phone and call me and say, I will be happy to recommend you for this position was an incredible compliment. Yeah. Well, again, validation. It goes back exactly, to yep. you know, reaffirming that you know, the things that you're doing are the right things to be doing. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, that, that's always a nice thing to hear. Most influential people in your life, who have they been? Wow. I'll narrow it down to three. Three's fine. Because there's a long list, all right? <laughs> but uh, number one would be my parents. Of course. Um, my parents were so incredibly supportive of just about anything within reason that their children wanted to do. My brothers wanted to play in rock bands. What can we do to help you guys afford to get a guitar and amplifier and all that other stuff? I wanted to play trombone. Instead of renting, they just said, well, if you're sure you want to play trombone, they found a way to get me a trombone. Um, they, they were so encouraging in anything we did, whether it was music or Boy Scouts or school or sports or anything. And um, that was just a great, great way to grow up. 
Um, second would be, I had mentioned earlier, uh, Karsten Ahrens, who was my very first uh, instrumental music teacher in, yeah. in elementary school. Um, just his approach to music was like, you know, he was a cool cat. <laughs> but he was a band director, and I learned a lot from him. Um, and then another gentleman, his name is Dr. Daryl Ramsey. And he was the assistant band director of the Penn State Blue Band when I went to Penn State. And he knew how desperately I wanted to teach. Um, so my sophomore year in college, he, he had a relationship with one of the local band directors at one of the high schools. who He desperately needed an assistant band director for marching band. So Daryl went to the university and said, listen, I've got this guy I think is going to be a great teacher someday, and i got this guy over here's need. Could we take a semester, fall semester, and make that my class? In other words, I got a full 16 credits mm-hmm. for being an assistant band director um, because he had that faith in me, he had that vision in me, and so on, uh, about it. And it was, it was a great time. It was absolutely... Now, I still had a couple of classes I had to do, but it was great because I would have blue band practice on Friday, go to a football game Friday night and then be at a Penn State football game on Saturday. <laughs> um, and it was just it was just a, an incredible experience. Um, and then you know I have to say my wife um, who Des- despite all the warning signs being there it's, it's 30 years <laughs> you know it, it, 30 years and it, it's just been it, it's been just a great it, it's been a great just discussion over 30 years you know it's it's nice to sit down with somebody and say you know, I'm, I'm 50, 58 years old, but I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up <laughs> and have the person on the other side of the conversation say, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, and so many other people in between, but, you know, just looking at various steps in my life. And one last person was at Concordia University. His name was Dr. Kent Schlichtemeyer. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Great, great Irish guy. No, but, um, <laughs> um when I was Going back for my elementary ed degree, degree. Um, he was one of my instructors, and he was also a principal at one of the local high schools, and he taught at Concordia University in the evenings. And he had this conversation with all of us, and he said, I want you to remember every time that you walk into school, wherever you're going to go to teach, that you're not a teacher. You're a professional educator. And always keep in mind, you went to school to learn how to do this because you had a passion to want to do it and you paid to learn how to do it. You are a professional educator and don't ever be anything other than that. And that, that's, that stuck with me. And I think stuck with me mainly because I I was 40 years old and everybody else in the class was like 19, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, just to have a conversation with him after class too. I mean, he was just like, you're going into a profession treated as such. Right. And, you know, don't ever let anybody tell you, well, you're the band director, you're the music teacher. No, I'm a professional educator, and I have the same degree that you do. Because, you know, a lot of times you'll go in, and sometimes the arts folks are kind of like, well, you guys don't know what the real world's like because you have your own wing and your own office and your own phone. But, you know, also, you know, you can say back to fellow educators, yeah, but I'm also the one who has a class with 90 kids at a time. Yeah, and you see almost every kid in the building. Exactly. Um, so that that was the big one, uh, Dr. Kent Schlichtemeyer. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you could have dinner with any three people, living, dead, doesn't matter, who, imaginary, <laughs> <laughs> who would it be? 
Three people, if I could have yeah. dinner with them. Or just one if you're being less social. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, one would be one of one of my performing artists would be is Tommy Shaw, who's the guitarist for Sticks. Uh-huh. Um, I've just always been a real fan of his, you know, my entire life. Um, let's see. The second one would be whoever at the time is the president of the United States. Because uh-huh. I would like to say, is it really that hard? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, really. Um, and the third person would be, um, would be, uh, I never knew my grandparents, yeah, because they had passed away before, would be to, to have dinner with one or both of my grandparents, mm-hmm. um, to hear the actual stories from the, <laughs> from like the 19 teens and so on. Right. As opposed to, you know, hearing it through my parents, but yeah, that would be it. That would be done. Okay. And then, uh, executioner's coming for you in the morning. What are you asking for for dinner tonight? You know what? I'm a very simple guy, but um, uh, a, a a northeast style hoagie. Oh yeah, not a sub, not a submarine or a sandwich, a hoagie. And and I'll I'll vouch for this. You can't get that out here. Absolutely not. It, Absolutely it, not. You, you can get the food's good. Don't get me wrong. For sure. You, yeah. I mean, the, the food's good everywhere if you know where to look. But when you want that, and that's all that'll do. Um, yeah, the, there's a certain place that you can get it and it's uh unfortunately it's not uh, west of the no, mississippi it's the oil vinegar oregano yes combination you know that you just can't get anywhere else but that that's my last meal right there all right well that was uh the, the list of what i've got uh, anything that i neglected to ask and should have any uh burning confessions you want to throw out there what, what do you got wow how, how much space is on that digital <laughs> recorder um no, I think the main thing is is just to go back, and I know I've said it a couple of times, and I don't want to beat it, uh, beat the dead horse. But if if you're listening because you're a musician or you you enjoy music, do your research. Um, if you want to reach out to Drew, reach out to me. I'll send you that list of 130 things that Dr. Dave Gerhardt has put together, and I guarantee you, after you read through all of them, you'll come up with two or three more that we didn't think of. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's 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 kind of like um, reverse engineer your career. Right. Um, don't think I want to do this in the music industry. It's I want to do this for a living. How can I work music into it? Sure. And that's that's and I think that's the best way for looking at any career. You know, what do I enjoy doing? And then, you know, what do I really enjoy? And see if you can put them together and make them a career. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do this and uh, very, very grateful for the uh, the time. Thank you so much. Nope, happy. And I'll be back for parts two and three. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Stage. If you have ideas for future episodes or work in a non-performing role in the music industry and would like to tell your story, please contact me at drew at boomermusiccompany.com. I'm Drew Holmes. Thank you for listening as we explore careers in music beyond the stage. Beyond the Stage.